Well, my name is Nate. If we don't know each other, would love to meet you. I'll be in the hallway or the lobby after the service. But we're in this series called Built to Last. And the reason for this series is uh, this fall, we're going to celebrate our 75th anniversary as a church, which is really cool. And um, God has been super gracious to us over the years. Um, but we want to be built to last. We don't want to just uh, make it to 75 and then, you know, wrap it up. Uh, we want to be built to last. And so this series is about uh, what are the core habits, the core values that we've got to embrace if we're going to be a church that's built to last. And so um, we've identified four core habits over the years that have gotten us uh, to where we are now and that we think can help us uh, move forward. And so we've been talking about those in this series. Um, and so let's review those together. Here are the four core habits. We've got to gather, commit, serve, and retreat. Gather, commit, serve, and retreat. And why must we gather? Because we believe in Bible teaching. And we believe in worship. And that's what we've talked about the last two weeks. Why must we commit? Because we believe in community. That's what we're talking about today. And why must we serve? Because we believe in the next generation. We believe in next generation ministry. We believe in local kindness. And we believe in global missions. And why must we retreat? Why must we remove ourselves from the normal everyday flow? Because we believe in prayer. We believe in intentionally seeking God. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. Um, each week we're talking about one of the values that's underneath the habit. And so today we're talking about community. A lot of research is suggesting that there are two fundamental needs of the human heart. Two fundamental needs of the human heart. The first is belonging. We need to belong, um, to have a group that's yours. Uh, there was a, a study done by Stanford University with college students, and um, the study found that students without a meaningful connection on campus were more likely to get lower grades and to get sick. That literally not being part of a group where you belong would cause you to not achieve as much scholastically and weaken your immune system. Um, an organization called the HRSA says there's an increasing body of research which has found that feelings of social isolation can have profound health effects. Loneliness is as bad for people's health as smoking 15 cigarettes daily. So we have a need for belonging, and we have a need for purpose. That is, to have a cause that's worth pursuing or a job that's worth doing. It's in all of us to, to need that. Adam Kaplan, who's a professor at John Hopkins School of Medicine, says this, we need our lives to have meaning. It's a basic human need as important to health as the need for exercise and a nutritious diet. Human beings need to have something they are committed to and passionate about 
and that is directed toward helping others or the world. In order to be healthy people, we need to belong and we need to have a purpose. We need a community and we need a cause. We need to belong and we need a purpose. And that's the beauty of community, is in a healthy community, you get both of those things. In a healthy community, you get a place to belong and you get a a purpose to pursue, a cause to run after. And what's interesting, and the reason that we're talking about that is this, that part of God's vision for redeeming the world is creating a community like that. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, made an interesting statement. He said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, I give you a new command. Love one another. And they probably kind of looked around at each other like, That's, is that new? Like, surely somebody said that before, right? Love one another. That's the new command. What makes it new is what Jesus says next. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus wants to form a community that will love one another as he has loved and that will show the world what his love is like. That's God's vision to redeem the world. And so today, what we're gonna do is look at the event before Jesus says this. So when Jesus says, love just as I have loved you, he's referencing something. What is he referencing? That's what we're gonna look at. And we're gonna look at this event, we're gonna see what the event means, and then we're gonna see how this event should shape the kind of community that we're trying to form here. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 13 is where we'll be today. John chapter 13. And we'll start in verse one. The first three verses of this give us the context. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So they're at the Passover. Passover is a Jewish national holiday they still celebrate today. And Jesus, at this particular Passover, knew something. It says that he knew that his hour had come. His hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. So this is a reference back to John 3.16. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son... So the Son has come from the Father to the world, and now Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and go back to the Father, meaning he knows that he's about to go to the cross. 
He knows that the next day is going to be a brutal day. He knows that. And it says, knowing that, having loved his own who were in the world, referring to all the people that the Father had given to him. And throughout the Gospel of John, that's been a constant theme. Having loved them while he was here, he's going to love them to the very end. Or he's going to love them to completion. He's going to love them until the job is done. And so, he knows all of that and he commits to loving them to the end. Verse 2. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. So the devil is going to try to defeat the good that Jesus is accomplishing. What he doesn't realize is that God's actually going to use that evil for good. Verse 3. Now it tells us something else that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Now, these verses, verse 1 through 3, are kind of interesting because we don't have a lot of verses in the Bible that tell us what Jesus knew, what he was thinking. But here, it says that Jesus knew that his Father had given everything into his hands. Meaning, Jesus now knows in this moment that he is the most powerful person in the universe. Everything is in his hands. He is in authority over everything. Everything is under him. He's the boss, not just of the people in this room, but in every room in this moment. He knows that. And he knew that his hour had come to depart and go back to the Father. So he knows Tomorrow's going to be a long day. And so when those thoughts dawn on him, when he realizes, I'm the most powerful person, not just in this room, but in every room, and tomorrow's going to be a tough day, what would you expect his first move to be? What would your move be? When it begins to dawn on you, you're the team leader now. You're the boss now. You get to call the shots now. If you got to be in charge, what's your first order of business? What are you going to do? Here's what Jesus does. Verse 4. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. When it dawns on Jesus, hey, the Father has given everything into my hands. I'm the most powerful person in the world, and tomorrow's gonna be a long day the first thing that he does is get up from the table and begin to wash his disciples' feet. 
and verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He recognizes the absurdity of this. Wait a minute. You're going to wash my feet? Why, why are we doing this? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter replies again, You will never wash my feet. No, we're not going to do that. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus says, if, if you cannot respond to my act of humility with humility, you can have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. He, he says, okay, if that's the case, then, then don't just do my feet, do the whole thing. Now Jesus uses an interesting metaphor that we're not gonna get into today, but he says in verse 10, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus is using this metaphor here that we'll maybe unpack someday in more detail, but it's really brilliant. He's saying to be bathed is to be totally cleansed from all your sins. And that's what he's going to accomplish by going to the cross. He's gonna go to the cross and die so that all of your sins, your past, your present, your future, all of it can be forgiven so that all of you can be bathed clean. But people who have been cleansed from their sins, people who have been bathed, still find themselves walking into paths where they get dirty. And so we don't only need to come to Jesus to bathe us, to cleanse us from all of our sins, but we need to come to Jesus daily to wash our feet, to cleanse us of our daily sins. So we don't just come to Jesus one time so that we can be forgiven, but we're coming to Jesus one time so that we can be bathed, and then we need to come daily confessing our sins so that our feet can get washed. That's kind of the idea. But there's a lot more we can say about that. But Jesus finishes this act of humility, finishes this little teaching moment about bathing and washing, and then here's what happens, verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, now here's this super powerful question. Do you know what I have done for you? do you know what I've done for you? Now, that question is super important for you to be able to answer. Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Your answer to that question will determine whether or not you're able to experience the belonging and the purpose 
that God has made you for. And whether or not a church knows the answer to that question will determine whether or not we are able to embody the belonging and the purpose that God has made us for. Do you know what I've done for you? Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, verse 14, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Two things in this text. First, Jesus has become your servant. Jesus has become your servant. Now, on the surface, even when I typed that, it was like, ugh, I don't know if I can say that. Like, I know I'm his servant, but I don't know if I can call Jesus my servant. Certainly, I should serve him, but he should serve me. Uh, And do you see how that's the attitude of Peter? Do you see how the resistance to let Jesus serve you is what Jesus is rebuking of Peter? And what does he say? He says, if I don't do this, you can have no part with me. If you don't realize that Jesus has come to be your servant, then you don't really belong to him. Jesus has come to do something for you that you cannot do yourself. Jesus has come to wash your feet and to bathe you. Now that sounds awkward, but it's a metaphor. And the way that he does that is by going to the cross and dying in the place of sinners so that sinners can be washed and cleansed. So Jesus has become your servant. So the question for you is, are you willing to take off your socks? Jesus has become your servant and Jesus has become your standard. He's become your standard. To what extent should you love? To what extent should you be patient? To what extent should you be gentle and generous and gracious and hospitable? To the extent that Jesus has done for you. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, everyone will know that you belong to me if you love just as I have loved you. Jesus is the standard by which we measure our love. And the reason that's important is because sometimes we can, we can talk ourselves 
out of doing the things that it feels like God might be calling us to do because we're using a different standard. Maybe we're using the standard of someone else. It's like, well, look, we already serve more than them. I'm already doing more than most people. I'm already, so uh, I, I, I don't have to do all of this because I'm already doing more than these people. And these people are not the standard. The standard by which we measure our love is what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus loved them to the end. The other way that we kind of get ourselves, uh, we talk ourselves out of having to do this is we measure ourselves and what we need to do for God against what we've already done before. So one time I was talking to a guy, not at this church, and I was asking him if he was interested in serving in this particular thing that we were doing. And he said, I already did that. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I, already, I was already a, a youth guy for a while. So I already did that. Now I go to the early service and I go golfing. I'm like, oh, cool, man. Well, I guess, hey, I didn't realize that you'd already done it. All right, so you, you're free then. And whether or not you've already done it is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Jesus loved them to the end, which means you don't get to retire. Now, maybe the way in which you serve will look different. Maybe the way, you know, the role that you play will look different. But you don't get to just, you know, hang up the cleats and say, yeah, those were the glory days. Now we go golfing on Sundays. You, you, don't, you don't get to do that because the standard is the way in which Jesus has loved us. So not only do you have to take off your socks to be, to be able to experience the belonging and the purpose that God wants you to experience in his community, not only do you have to take off your socks, but you've also got to roll up your sleeves. That's what it means to participate in community. Jesus has become your servant and your standard. And community in the church is founded on that right there. The fact that a group of people recognize that we were filthy and Jesus came to serve us. And a group of people recognize that Jesus came to serve us. And so we roll up our sleeves and we love one another like that. If you want to experience real belonging, it comes from the willingness to take off your socks and be vulnerable and say, here's the dirt that needs to be washed. And it comes from rolling up your sleeves and being willing to get into the mess with people. That's the way you experience belonging. And that's God's vision for a church. And this belonging that we are called to is supernatural. 
meaning God is bringing people who would ordinarily never associate with one another together for that kind of belonging. He's bringing people from all different backgrounds and all different ethnicities and all different tax brackets, all different ages and generations. He's bringing together to belong because all of us need to take off our socks and have our feet cleaned. And this supernatural belonging serves a supernatural purpose. And that supernatural purpose is this, displaying to all creation the wisdom and glory of God. Here's what I mean. Uh, Here's where I get that. In the book of Ephesians, man, if you read the book of Ephesians through this lens of God forming this supernatural community of belonging and purpose, you will never read it the same. I mean, that's what the book is about. And Paul has been talking about that in Ephesians 1 and 2, all these things God has done. And what Jesus accomplishes on the cross is not just reconciling, you know, me to God, but also me to you. It doesn't just tear down walls between me and God. It tears down a wall between me and you. And this is why he says in Ephesians 2 that at the cross, Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. These people who for literally hundreds of years had hated one another and looked down on one another. And yet, for some reason, these this group of people is now together in the church. And he's talking about that. And he says that God has appointed him to declare this mystery that Jew and Gentile are both one in the church. And then he tells us why God appointed him to declare that message. This is Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Now, this verse, just look at that. This, you wanna know the purpose of the church. You wanna know God's vision for the church. Here it is. His vision is that the church, as people who are different, come together as one, commit to one another as one. That as we do that, that all of creation would look and see God's glorious wisdom in bringing people like that together. That's his vision. He wants even, it says the the rulers and authorities referring to the spiritual world that we can't see. So he's saying, even demons will marvel when there's this community filled with people who would ordinarily not even like each other coming together as one. And what is the thing that that brings us together? 
It's our commitment to Jesus. It's our trust in Jesus. It's the fact that we believe Jesus has come to serve us and we believe that Jesus is now our standard for how we are to love. That is the unifying rally cry. That is it. Jesus is the one who unites. On any wall that divides us, Jesus is a door. And this is to display God's glory, God's wisdom to all creation. So what God is doing is forming this supernatural belonging for a supernatural purpose. This kind of community is compelling. If you look at the way that community is typically built, not just in the world, but in churches. In fact, if you go to a lot of church conferences about how to build community, the steps that they give you are basic things, like, um, you know, have a, have a group of young professionals, have a young professional meetup, so that people who are young professionals can connect with one another. In other words, help people find people who are like them that they'll like. And that's the way you'll build community in your church. And that's fine. And that does work. And that kind of stuff is helpful. And it can be an onboard for people. And that's great. But do you see how over the years, that's the way that churches have tried to build community? It's like, so we got the 60s, you know, 60s plus luncheon that meets. And then we got the, the if you've got you know, young families you know, and you've got young kids, then you guys can be in a group together because y'all are at similar life stages and you've got stuff in common and so y'all, can, y'all will get along naturally. And then, you know, you've got the, the singles and the young adults or the, the young professional group and then you've got, you know, students and keep them, you know, over there and that's how you'll build community is just find people who are like them and then they'll like each other. And the problem is, you can build that kind of community anywhere. You don't need the gospel for that to work. God's vision is to build supernatural belonging so that people belong who ordinarily would not belong. Like, why are we hanging out with, why are we friends with him again? Oh, because he also loves Jesus. Oh, that's right. All right. God is into building supernatural belonging for a supernatural purpose. To draw people to himself so the world will look and marvel. Wait a minute. You're telling me that people who believe that the whole mask thing is a conspiracy and people who are really committed to masks, get together? You're telling me people who are wealthy and have degrees, like, share meals with people who, who didn't go to college and, like, where does that happen? You're telling me that Seahawks fans 
meet with like 49ers fans, Broncos fans, Patriots fans come to your church? God wants to build a supernatural belonging with, for a supernatural purpose. And that is the community that we're after here. Does that mean that we're, you know, so starting tomorrow, the 60s luncheon's going away and the young professional meetup is gone. And no. But it does mean we need to pay attention to it. It does mean that we need to get intentional about pursuing people who are different than us. To embody a community of belonging and purpose, we've got to take off our socks, recognize that, that we're sinners who need Jesus, and we've got to roll up our sleeves. This is hard work. This is not easy. And that's why it displays God's glory and God's wisdom. It doesn't happen naturally. So, if we want the gospel, if we want the good news of Jesus to transform the culture out there in the world, then first it has to transform the culture in here. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, just as I have loved you, Jesus said. So to wrap this up, let me give you just a, a few practical steps that I think might help with this. The first is kind of a long play. We're not gonna really do anything with this one um, in the short term, but it's just something that I think we should work on here, okay? Whether that's for me to do or somebody else to do but I think we need to work to create a strong culture of membership here. Um, and there's a lot that could be said about that, but a culture of membership is one where um, you know who is in, you know who is committed, you know who belongs, and people who belong are taken care of. Um, I won't get into all that. That's the first, that's a long play. The rest are all things that you could do immediately. Um, you could text the word connect to the number on the screen. You know, seriously, we say this every week, but if you are listening to this and you're like, you know, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I feel like I know people here to be able to do that, and I don't know where to start. This is an easy step. Just text the word connect to the number on the screen, and we would love to help you connect with people. Um, so you can do that. You could join a community group. Um, what I love about Zeb's vision for community groups is that they're not, you know, uh, affinity groups that are designed for, well, you know, if you're this kind of person, this is the group for you. And if you're this kind of person, this is the group for you. Instead, his vision is that 20-year-olds would be in group with 80-year-olds and that we would, like, share meals together and, and get to know one another and share stories and and that's not easy. That's hard work, but it's supernatural work. So you could join a community group. Next step for that is um, you could just stop by the green wall 
honestly. And in the lobby, somebody there could talk to you about that. You could just, here's one that you could do, and you don't have to like go through the Highlands mothership to do this one, all right? You could just ask someone that you don't know to get coffee. Like right after this, you look around, you see somebody you don't know, and you could just be like, hey, you wanna grab coffee? And I know, COVID, it's weird. Can you do that and all that? I don't know, okay? So y'all can figure that out. You can figure out the best way to go about doing that. But, but you don't need our permission. In fact, we're giving you permission now to just be that kind of community where we're intentionally doing that. And you could even make that your ministry on Sundays that you're just gonna come and look for people that you don't recognize and try to help connect with them. Um, that would be an awesome thing to do. You could sign up to serve on a ministry team. That's an excellent way to get to know people and build community. Um, so those are just some ideas. But you're smart, and so be creative. But that is God's vision, that people who are different would supernaturally belong because of Jesus for a supernatural purpose of showing the world God's wisdom and glory And so my hope is that we would embody that, that we would pursue that, that we would commit to that kind of community. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the love that you demonstrated by doing so. God, it is that love that compels us. And so God, we don't wanna just be a church that says, be reconciled to God. We wanna be a church that It says, be reconciled to one another. God, would we be that kind of church? Would your spirit work? Would you help us to humble ourselves and to love one another? It's in Jesus' name I ask, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?